Good morning. Here we are on Tuesday morning. It's in year C, proper 20, or the 15th Sunday after Pentecost. Today we'll cover the psalm reading for the week, which is Psalm 79, verses 1 through 9. Uh, There's actually 13 verses in the psalm, but uh, the lectionary calls just for the first nine verses. So we'll pray uh, the psalm after we uh, read the psalm and reflect on a bit of its uh, content. Here on When I Rise, let's all pray together. Psalm 79, verses 1 through 9. O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. They have left the dead bodies of your servants as food for birds of the sky, the flesh of your own people for the animals of the wild. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury the dead. We are objects of contempt to our neighbors, of scorn and derision to those around us. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and devastated his homeland. Do not hold against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are desperate in need. Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins, for your namesake. This is the Word of God. Here's a few words of reflection from Psalm 79. Boy, oh boy, it's hard sometimes to find something in a text like this. Uh, But I think it's important to keep it in a context, um, in a bit of a whole unit, uh, that the psalm writer seems to be thinking about. Uh, It seems as if Psalm 78, Psalm 79, Psalm 80, and Psalm 81 are supposed to be seen in a unit. And what you'll see is in Psalm 78, there's a reflection of Israel's past. Psalm 79, the one that we're covering today, there's a reflection of its current devastation. But then Psalm 80 and Psalm 81 are a hopeful psalm. Uh, a couple of hopeful psalms that talk about the rebuild and the restoration of the people of Israel. And so it's important to keep this psalm in context with the rest. If it's pulled into isolation, it seems to lack any sort of meaning. But when it's put in that type of panorama, um, it's important for us to glean from its lesson. Uh, It's been known that this psalm is read at the last remaining wall of the second temple that's in Jerusalem, what we call the Wailing Wall. I think it's actually quite appropriate. Um, The city of Jerusalem is a city where there is still profound hardship. There's still animosity and disunity and hatred towards different people groups. And so as um, either Jewish followers or Christian followers who are aware of this psalm, they would raise their voices in Jerusalem with this psalm because it seems to articulate the current struggle that they have today. Um, What I find is that the first several verses are hard to read. Uh, The psalmist is quite clear about all the devastation that has been pointed at the kingdom of Israel and the community of the Israelites. Uh, But I love how in verses 8 and 9 and through the rest of the psalm that we didn't get to read this morning, um, that there's hope in the midst of hardship. There seems to be a pattern here. We can be clear. We can be uh, comprehensive. 
Uh, we can be honest about the hard things that happen in our life. We don't have to paint a smile on our face and pretend like nothing is going wrong. Like, no, we can name it. But a key attribute of the people of God is that as we grieve and as we raise our voices and ask God how long, that we punctuate such a discourse with hope, and particularly hope of knowing what our part was and the uh, bleak outlook of our present. Um, God is not just an arbitrary person who pours out his wrath. God um, calculates. God has a meaning behind all things. This is not senseless things that are pointed towards us. So this is what we find in the psalmist, is that even though there are hardships and they abound and they're almost unspeakable and it's hard to say, the psalmist knows that God is not done yet, that God can rescue and that God can redeem. And ultimately, this hard talk of hardship moves uh, towards a motive for faith and thanksgiving because the psalmist knows that God's grace will get the last word. And I think this is important for us. Um, even though we might have relatively sanitized lives um, that we experience, we don't have the depth of hardships like the people from the scripture text. Still, hardship is not a respecter of persons. Grief is not arbitrary and picks one person but not another. At some point or another, hardship, grief, pain, unfortunate events always point towards nearly every person or all people around us. And so what we find in this psalm is a prescription. We can name it, we can be clear about it, and we also punctuate our naming and our airing of grievances towards God with a punctuation of hope that God has not abandoned us, He will not abandon us, that He can even pick up all this devastation and make something good out of it. And so we ultimately end such a low moment and low prayers by lifting our eyes and understanding that God can be with us even still. So I think that's going to be important for us as we pray today because some of us find ourselves in this valley place Others of us, we know people in that place. So instead of having no words to pray or no idea how to pray for a person in our life who's in that situation, we now have a prescription. We can name those things and we can also lift our eyes and ask God for His help in this present time. So with those things in mind, we're going to turn to God in prayer and lift our voices to God here in the morning. God, as we turn to a time of prayer after reflecting on a very difficult psalm, we are grateful that psalms like this are in the scripture text for us to learn from. We thank you that um, we could acknowledge that life is not always easy, that it's not always progressing, that we're not always growing, that we're not always successful. But we can come to you even time in those times when things are not optimistic, when the future actually looks bleak. We can look back at our past and we don't have to avoid talking about the difficult seasons that we've endured, but all of it belongs. And so because of that, God, our soul rises to meet you this morning, not in a place of devastation, not in hopelessness, not in the nihilism of a shrug or uh, the, the really thin platitudes and niceties that we tend to say to try to comfort one another during hard times. But we thank you for a psalm like this where we can acknowledge what's wrong and also acknowledge that you can help us yet. And so God, whatever is in front of us today, we acknowledge that we can be honest with you. So God, we decide this morning to pray honest prayers, not just quick prayers to get it over with, 
not just canned prayers uh, to do the thing that we've committed ourselves to. No, we decide to allow all the honesty out this morning because we know that we can direct it towards you, that you can handle it, that you're eager to hear it, and you can be here with us because you're working in our lives is not over yet. There's still time on the clock. There's still tread wear on the tires. Our journey is not done yet. So God, we consider this time to pray in this day in front of us and even this season of difficulty as a gift because this gift ultimately adds to us and to our good and allows us to see your faithfulness even during hard times. And so God, we pray for the hardship that we might be facing this morning, and we're honest about it. We lift our voices, and with brutal honesty, and even raw emotion, we give all of our concerns to you, all of our issues to you. And as we allow them to rise to you this morning, God, what we sense in the midst of it all is that you're not, uh, you would not belittle those prayers. You're not going to wave your hands to try to make a stop and turn around and go the other direction. Uh, what we see is that you, you don't call us tedious in offering these prayers to you. You're a God who's present. You're a, God, you're a God who's compassionate. You're a God who's gracious. So God, this morning, we discover your grace fresh and new. Grace is not just something that's available to us when things are easy, but grace is like water, as it's been said, and it pools all the way down to the lowest point. Well, God, we're in that lowest point. We raise our voices to you. And God, we say with the psalmist, how long? But we don't tap our toes. We don't wait um, with eagerness for you to respond right away, or else we'll never pray again. No, we understand that we can punctuate our time of prayer of concern in our lives uh, with hope. You're the God who is before us, you're the God who's with us. You'll be the God who's here long after us so that we know we can trust in you. So God, this morning, we give it all over to you. We are thankful that you are here with us. So God, this morning, may that be our consolation. May that be our hope. May that be the reason that we can move forward today. May it be that reason that we can live honestly today because we know that even if all others turn away from us, you do not turn away from us. So we ask for your grace again, the grace to be honest, and for the grace not to be angry, for the grace not to linger in our pain, but to lift our eyes and to know that you'll draw near to us as we draw near to you. So God, we open ourselves this day to be aware of where you're at in this scenario, in this situation. And God, we thank you in advance that you are with us, that you are for us, that you're the holy God who glorifies his own name by transforming us and by drawing us into a deeper relationship with you. So God, glorify your name in our life, even in the midst of our challenging circumstances. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.